All glories to these multi-devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Vishnu Prasthaya Bhutale Shrimati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Nikhinamine Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Gachani Nikhasesa Sanyani Paskachani Nisitani Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Yuta Parikamalam Sri Guru Vaishnava Pshan Sri Yupam Sagita Tam Sagina Ravina Tam Vitam Stam Sativa Sadvoitam Sadvitam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Vedam Sri Radha Krishna Vedam Sahakana Ravita Sri Vishakam Pitashtam Vantrapapa Chivishtam Pitasnathirata Pitam Pavanatha Vaishnava Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya It's July 13th, 2016 in Zagreb, Croatia reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 9 Madhya Soda Binds Lord Krishna Text 6 Sanjata Kopas Parita Runadaram Sanjata Kopas Parita Runadaram Samdasti Dadbir Dadi Mantabachanam Samdasti Dadbir Jagasya Hayangava Mantarangata Sanjata Kopa In this way, Krishna being very angry Spurita Aruna Adaram Swollen reddish lips Sandasya Capturing, Capturing. Dadbi Dad by his teeth, Dadi Manta Bhajanam, the pot in which yogurt was being churned, Bitva, breaking, Mirsha Ashru, with false tears in the eyes, Jishat Ashmana, with a piece of stone. Raha, in a solitary place, Jaghasa, began to eat. Hayangavam, the freshly churned butter. Antaram, within the room. Gataha, having gone. Translation in purport by Srila Prabhupada. Being very angry and biting his reddish lips with his teeth, Krishna, with false tears in his eyes, broke the container of yogurt with a piece of stone. Then he entered a room and began to eat the freshly churned butter in a solitary place. Purport. It is natural that when a child becomes angry, 
he can begin crying with false tears in his eyes. So Krishna did this, and biting his reddish lips with his teeth, he broke the pot with a stone, entered a room, and began to eat the freshly churned butter. Sanjata kopa spurita runadaram sandasya dadbir dadimantabajanam bitva mishashur drishadashmana raho jatasya hayan gavamantanam Being very angry and biting his reddish lips with his teeth, Krishna, with false tears in his eyes, broke the container of yogurt with a piece of stone. Then he entered a room and began to eat the freshly churned butter in a solitary place. So you notice we have yogurt and butter, and you think, well, what is it, yogurt or butter? So in those days, they would first turn milk into yogurt. You know, they didn't have refrigeration. So they would use whatever milk they wanted to use as milk, and then the rest they would turn into yogurt because yogurt keeps longer. And then they would take the yogurt and they would churn it. And we, then they would churn it, it would turn into butter and buttermilk. So at least in America, when you buy buttermilk today, it's not made in that way. But that was the original way of making yogurt, uh, butter. So with the buttermilk was really the way from the yogurt. It was a yogurt way. And so the butter had a lot more flavor. The butter that we get today in the shops is made from sweet cream. It doesn't have that much flavor in and of itself. But when you make the yogurt from soured cream from yogurt, make the butter from soured cream from yogurt, it's kind of like sometimes you can buy this Greek yogurt, which is kind of like Shrikhand. Seen that? Right? So imagine if the butter is like just the the cream part of the of the yogurt. So it was very tasty. So because Mother Yasoda was still churning the yogurt, you remember she was churning when he came and stopped and held on to the rod and, and stopped the churning. So it wasn't finished. So it was still a yogurt pot and there were chunks of butter in it. If you've ever made your own butter, oh, we used to do this, my daughter used to do this in India particularly, she would make her own butter. So it's, there's a point where it's becoming butter and there's still yogurt there and chunks of butter. So Krishna is very angry. And we talked a little bit about this in the last couple of days, especially yesterday how Rupa Goswami, in defining bhakti, anukulena, krishna, anushilana, do activities which are favorable to Krishna. This example is given that Mother Yasoda was apparently not being favorable to Krishna. Krishna became angry. And yet, it was bhakti, because her intention was to please Krishna. So That is a, a very deep topic because often we think, well, I can judge the success of my Krishna consciousness. First of all, we think I can judge the success of my Krishna consciousness by some kind of material numbers. You know, the size of the temple that we build, or the number of people we make as devotees, or the number of books we distribute it, or the number of rounds we chant, or something like that. We think that's the uh, measurement of our Krishna consciousness. Or we can think the measurement of our Krishna consciousness is whether or not Guru and Krishna are pleased with us. So those are pretty good measurements, actually. They're not bad measurements. But sometimes we find Krishna is not pleased, he's angry, and yet uh, still Mother Yasoda's action is successful. We're worshipping Mother Yasoda's action, correct? Yes? Yes? 
we worship it in, in Kartik every day. We're worshiping Krishna with Mother Yasoda, and we're worshiping that Mother Yasoda who made Krishna angry. So, it's, bhakti is not such a, uh, because it has to do with relationship between persons. Uh, you can't just put it in little boxes. You know, we can try to explain it in terms of boxes and categories, which of course Rupa Goswami does. But ultimately, it's about a relationship between persons. It's also interesting that Krishna very rarely gets angry at the young gopis. He gets angry at his mother when he's a child, but he doesn't usually get angry at the young gopis. Rupa Goswami describes <coughs> different kinds of anger between Krishna and the young gopis, and the gopis get angry with Krishna. They have an anger with cause and an anger without cause. So their anger with cause is usually because Krishna is with some other gopi, or Krishna hasn't showed up at the appointed time because he's with another gopi. But uh, Krishna very rarely gets angry at the gopis. If he does, Rupa Goswami says, it's again without cause, just as play. You know, mock anger, like here he has mock tears. And also sometimes Rupa Goswami says, with slight cause. Like if some gopi is spending too long picking flowers and he wants her to walk with him on the bank of the divorce. Why are you spending so much time picking flowers? So he may be a little annoyed. But here with his mother, he's very angry. I'm not sure if he gets very angry with the cowherd boys. I've never read of him being angry with Nanda, although he corrects Nanda with the Indra Jagya, but he's not described as being angry. But here he's angry with his mother. And this is quite typical for little children. So any of you are parents, or if you've been around little children, especially Krishna here can't even talk. So he's a very young child. So this is quite uh, very common that very young children get very angry with their mother when their mother won't do what they want her to do. Mm. So I thought we'd look here at this, this anger because uh, we have a certain way that we respond to anger and Prabhupada is, is talking here about the natural behavior of a child which Krishna is seemingly displaying. So we have our natural behavior when we get angry, and Krishna here is seeming to have the same kind of behavior. He's seeming to get angry the way that we human beings get angry. And therefore, many people cannot accept that Krishna is God. Even when Krishna appeared, the great demigods had some difficulty. Right? Indra and Brahma, they, they were struggling. You know, is this Narayana? Is, is this God? And to understand Krishna's activities, even that he gets angry, and in his anger he breaks the pot. You know, that this is, it's entering into a different realm of transcendence. So how do we behave when we are angry with someone? Well, we can start out by looking at why we get angry. So here Krishna's angry because his mother didn't do what he wanted her to do. He wanted her to finish feeding him her breast milk, and although the milk on the stove was also for Krishna, Krishna apparently wanted to have her let that milk boil over and simply continue to feed him. That's what he apparently wanted her to do. Of course, the Acharyas say that the milk boiling over is also alive. And so the milk, it's conscious that milk boiling over was thinking Krishna's belly is unlimited and Mother Yasoda's breast milk is unlimited and therefore that Krishna is going to drink forever and I'm never going to get a chance to do my service. So the milk was on the stove was like saying, hey, hey, I want to do my service. <laughs> but usually we get angry, if we think about it, 
when people don't do what we want or what we expect or what we think is fair. Right? We have a certain expectation that things are going to go in a particular way and when they don't go in that way, we become angry. Am I correct? Is that why we become angry? Is that right? If you think about the last time you were angry, hopefully that was many, many, many years ago. <laughs> but if you think about when was the last time you were angry, we find it's because things, things aren't going according to my plan. And sometimes it's hard to know at whom to be angry. <laughs> sometimes you don't really know where to put your anger because you're not really sure who's responsible, right? It could be some big company, just some policy of a, of a company that things are not going your way. As I have some friends in New Zealand who are citizens of the UK. They were traveling back to New Zealand and they forgot that because they were traveling through America, they were just stopping in an airport, but because they were stopping in an American airport, they had to get some kind of a transit visa, like $14 each for the five of them. And they, they just forgot that they needed to do this. And so the airline wouldn't let them get on the plane. And then they canceled their tickets and they made them buy all new tickets at a very high last minute price. So they had to spend $10,000 plus the cost of losing the tickets. So they fought it and fought it and fought it for a year and they, they, they lost because the airline said, it's your responsibility to have your travel documents. Sorry, so who exactly are you going to get angry at? You know, the, the board of the airlines, you know. People get angry at the clerk behind the counter often, right? Mm -hmm. they, they yell at the, at the person behind the counter, but they may not have any responsibility for this. So this is generally why we get angry. We have certain expectations. We think this is the way people are supposed to act. This is the way things are supposed to be or, you know, this is the way I'm supposed to be treated, or we think I've done all these things and you're supposed to do all these things back, right? We list, I've, I've done this and this and this, and we had kind of an unwritten contract. You understand? You know, when you have relations with husband, wife, parent, children, friends and friends, brother and brother, now even at a job, you don't have every detail. And, and with our, most of our relationships, we don't have a written contract, right? Like, I don't have a written contract here with the temple authorities. You understand? But if nobody fed me, I'd probably get a little angry. <laughs> you know, if you said, sorry, Yermila, you know, you can stay here, but you're going to have to arrange your own food. But, but, but just get a taxi and go into Zagreb and buy something. <coughs> you know? And I said, what is this? But there's no written contract, you understand? Nobody signed something that said, if you come to our temple, we will feed you. And you could say, well, we didn't agree. We never agreed to feed you. Well, what, how is that in the agreement? And then we become angry. And especially become angry when the uh, agreement is not clear, isn't it? Yes, I was one time, uh, I was mediating a difficulty between a temple and a grahasta couple. So it was, this was a very interesting circumstance because they did have an agreement in writing. The temple had made an agreement with this couple, we're going to pay your airfare from your country, and you're going to do this in this service, and we're going to give you an, a flat, and we're going to give you this much money every week, and this much prasadam, and so forth. But then, they kept changing the agreement orally. And they didn't make changes in writing, you understand? 
They didn't make a change to the written agreement, just verbally, just with words they were changing. And each party, the temple management and this couple, the one thing they agreed upon is that they had made many, many changes, maybe like five or six. But nobody could agree on what was the current agreement. You know, that I could not get any, any agreement on it at all. Actually, it was interesting how we solved that problem. We just pretended there was no agreement, and we just made a list of everything the couple had done for the temple. And we went to the temple treasurer, and he put a money amount on everything. How many hours of this? How many hours of this? What is this worth? And then we put a, a list of everything the temple had done for them, and we put a money amount on them. And then we looked at the two amounts of money, and it was quite interesting. Everybody was very surprised at the result, and everybody was happy. And I said, now you have to make a written agreement. So then they made a written agreement, and then they didn't fight anymore, I hope. I don't think so. So my point is we get angry when we feel there's some, some agreement, some understanding, some should has been broken, some kind of fairness has been broken. And that could be in a particular result or also in a particular process. Many times we get angry not because of a particular result, but because we didn't think the process was fair. We didn't think anybody heard us. You understand? We, we can often accept very difficult decisions if we are convinced that the other person listened to our point of view and fully considered it. So what do we do when we're angry? Well, we have many responses. One is just we withdraw. We say, I'm not going to deal with this person anymore. I'm, I'm not going to fly on this airline anymore. You know, I'm not, you know, or, or I'm going to commit suicide. I'm not going to deal with the whole material world anymore. Of course, suicide doesn't do that for you. <laughs> you still in the material world. Uh, but we can just kind of withdraw. I'm just going to go in my room or, you know, people take intoxicants. I'm just going to get, you know, intoxicated. Or they'll do the modern day, we have our electronic intoxication. You know, I'm just going to sit and watch movies all day or something like that. Okay. And the other thing we do is we fight. It's usually fight or flight. So we can run away or we can fight. And uh, sometimes we do both. And in fighting, we usually try to hurt the other person. Because we're thinking it's not fair. Something's not fair. Something's not even. Something's not balanced. Something's not right. So we're trying to make it right again. And the way that we try to make it right is we try to hurt the other party an equal amount or greater amount to that which they hurt us. And then we think, well, that will make it right again. So these are our two usual responses. And sometimes we do both. Sometimes we both try to hurt the other party and we run away. So here Krishna has done both. It's exactly what he has done. So, Mother Yasoda's churning this yogurt, making it into butter. She's already put a lot of time and effort into it, right? Because she was already churning before baby Krishna woke up, and she had been perspiring. She must have been working for quite some time. And he ruined all of her work. Okay, you're not going to feed me? Okay, I'm going to ruin something of yours. I just spilled all over the floor, and, and you're not going to use it anymore for cooking, right? The yogurt is on the floor little bits of butter on the floor, and he's even eating it. And he's also running away. It says, Antaram, he went to a room. So he left the area where he was, and he went to go hide. And of course, when Mother Yusota comes to him, again, he's going to literally run away. 
he's going to start running and running and running. And it will be very hard for Mother Yasoda to catch him. She'll have to work quite some time to catch him. And this is even true with human babies. Sometimes human children can run very fast. You might think, oh, they have some little legs. How are they going to outrun you? But if you have children, I have a, a friend who has twin boys. And I remember when they were little that, you know, if they put them down, that one would run in one direction and the other would run in the other direction. And it was, if only the mother or only the father was there, it was quite difficult. So Krishna is seeming to do exactly this. <coughs> he seems to do exactly this. Of course, it's interesting that Krishna doesn't seem to do this much, as we said. Like with the young gopis, he doesn't behave like this. And I, I don't know of instances with his friends when he behaves like this. Or I, you don't hear about this so much in, in Dwarka or Mathura. It seems to be very much just Krishna's baby Leela that he's behaving like this. This is imitation of human anger. But so the impersonalists look at this and say, this is not God. Because anger and our response to it is one of the main problems of being a conditioned soul. Right? We're reading in the Bhagavad Gita about divine and demoniac nature. Krishna says, Trividam Narakashedam Dwaram Nashanam Atmana Kamakrodas Tatasmobas Tasmat Etatvayam Kajet. Give up this lust, anger, and greed. And Krishna also talks about several times in the Bhagavad Gita attachment, fear, and anger are all put together. And if we think about it, all of our anger, pretty much, is due to attachment and fear. I want to get something that I'm not getting and I'm afraid that if I don't get it, I'm going to suffer in some way. If you don't treat me properly, if I don't get what's fair, I'm going to suffer. And this, this fear of suffering and this attachment to what I want makes me angry. And this is true even in the Hare Krishna movement. When, when people get angry at the leaders of, of the movement, or they get angry at the other devotees. It's 99.9% is the same. Thing. So the impersonalists look at this activity of baby Krishna and they say, this is not God. In fact, the impersonalists say that God cannot have pastimes like this. It doesn't make any sense to them. To the impersonalist, God has to be just this equanimity. And it's also interesting that Krishna speaks a lot in the Bhagavad Gita particularly about equanimity and being equal poised. Right? Like he talks about giving up lust, anger, and greed. He talks about giving up attachment, fear, and anger. And Krishna talks about being equal poised in pleasant and unpleasant events. Yes? He talks about being equal poised, not being attached to things that are auspicious and inauspicious. Seeing neutrally friends, neutral, and enemies. So happiness and distress. These are one of the list of things that Krishna tells us we should be equal poised in. Happiness and distress, fear and anxiety, pleasant and unpleasant events, friends, enemies, neutral, heat and cold, honor and dishonor, fame and infamy. So naturally one would think, well, God must be like this. How is it that Krishna is telling us to do this? And he apparently is not doing it. So the impersonalists, they don't accept that Krishna, the speaker of the Bhagavad Gita, is an eternal God. 
like Prabhupada talked about this uh, professor who's translated by Bhagavad Gita, who said, no, no, when Krishna says manmana bhava madbhakto, or, you know, sarvadharman prachajama mekam sharnambrajaja, you don't surrender to Krishna, you don't think about Krishna, you think about the impersonal, unborn, pervasive light who right now is speaking through Krishna. And when Krishna says, Patram Pushpam Palam Toyam, they also criticize, how, how is God hungry? How can he be hungry? And, and many, many, many people in the world, I'd say the majority of religionists in the world, even if they have some idea of a personal God, they're thinking Jesus is God or something like that. Some, you know, some concept. It, they really don't think about these sort of pastimes. They still think about God as being just uh, la peace equanimity all the time. Now you can very easily see that that would get very what? Boring. Boring. In this world, we want unlimited, uninterrupted happiness. We want that very much. We're, we're trying as much as we can to have a life of unlimited, uninterrupted, ever-expanding happiness. But we don't try for that in only one taste. We don't. We don't try to be always, <sighs> You know, so I use the example all the time that in the entertainment industry, they don't only go for the ah. They have scary movies, yes? They have scary movies. They have sad movies. They have, they have entertainment in all of the 12 rasas. Is that correct? Yes? And people go see a sad movie and they say, Oh, it's very good movie. <laughs> I cried so much. I loved it. You should go see it too. So... You you think about this and you say, this is a little crazy. Why are you spending your money and your time to become sad? Right? Is it correct? Or to become angry. Why do you think people get involved in politics? What is the taste? A lot of it is anger. Right now there's a presidential election going on in, in my home country of America. And a lot of the emotion people have is anger. We hate the other candidate. You know. We hate this policy. <clears throat> and this is true all over the world. And people get involved in politics to feel anger. A sports also. What is one of the main attractiveness of sports? You get to feel angry. I was visiting a devotee's house one time and their son, how old was he, 20, 22, I don't know. He was watching some sports game on the television. And he was just him in the room, and I was walking past, and he jumps out of his chair, and he's shaking his fist at the television. <laughs> you know, screaming at the television. Why did you do that play? That was wrong. Now you've lost the game. And you know, he's yelling at his... It was, it was quite funny. But he was feeling great, and that's why people watch it. That's why they go. They get some chivalrous rust also, some mix of chivalry and anger. And I really love the preface to the Nectar of Devotion where Srila Prabhupada says that everything we do is to try and experience some rasa. 
So the impersonalists, they're really, they, they're really missing out here. They're really missing out. It's like they're, they want to eat ice cream with no flavor, not even vanilla. They don't even want vanilla flavor in their ice cream. And they can't understand that an ice cream shop may have a hundred flavors. You know, they think enjoyment is just, just bland, is tasteless. You know, when we were at the, at the camp, so it was, it was interesting. Usually at these big camps and retreats, they make special prasadam for the speakers. Right? And I remember going to a camp in, I think it was Lithuania, where I was feeling really conflicted about eating with the other speakers because we had 17 cooks and they were making like 50 different preparations, all very opulent, and the other devotees were eating just kitchery. So I was like, what should I do? So I was thinking we'd have the same problem at this camp, but it wasn't because they were making all prasadam for old and sick people. You understand? Because now the, the speakers at these events were all old. So... No, no sugar, no salt, no fats, no dairy. You know, the first day especially, was there was no taste. <laughs> this is actually food in the mode of ignorance, no taste. So after that, at least they put some salt in the, They gave us some salt. And I was thinking, I don't have to worry that I'm eating this prasadam in front of the other devotees because nobody's going to be disturbed that I'm eating this prasadam. So this is, you know, sick people food. You understand? So the impersonalists, they just want to eat sick people food. They want to eat food with no... And they think this is very enjoyable. So they're, they're very unfortunate. The impersonalists are very unfortunate. In one sense, you can say they're higher than the materialists because they have some spiritual idea. But they don't understand about rasa. So to have rasa, you, there's all 12 rasas. Krishna is called Akila Rasamrita Murti. He is the form of all rasas. Now, it's interesting. It is on the basis of Krishna being Akila Rasamrita Murti, logically and philosophically and theologically, that we say that Krishna is avatari. Of course, there are quotes also, right? A.K. Chamsa Kalapum Sam Krishna is true Bhagavan Swayam Ramadi Murti Shukalani Amena Tistana Navatar Makalo Bhuvaneshu Kintu Krishna Swayam Samabhavad Padamantamanyo or Mata Padatanam Nanyat many, many. One could quote many, 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 many verses that Krishna is the original avatari and all the other expansions, Narayana and Singha and so forth, Ram, are all uh, coming from Krishna and that only Krishna and Balaram display all of the attributes of God. But why? On what basis? Because we are saying to be the ultimate God you have to be Akila Rasamrita Murti. You have to be the repository of all varieties of taste. But Sanatana Goswami describes that in Vaikuntha, the residents there, they don't think that Krishna is Avatar. If you've read Brihad Bhagavatamrita, which if you haven't, I highly suggest you do so. The residents of Vaikuntha, they say, no, Narayan is supreme. They say Krishna is an avatar of Narayan that Krishna appears temporarily on the earth to kill demons. He appears as a cowherd boy. But the ultimate God is Narayan. So in thinking about this, which I've thought about this quite a lot, I thought if your definition of God is just that he's very majestic, you know, a very majestic God with all opulence, and then you will say Narayan is superior to Krishna. 
because Krishna doesn't appear like that. Krishna has these Naralila, these human-like pastimes. But if you're going to say that God is the sum total of all kinds of pleasure, then you have to say that Krishna is God. So when we say Krishna is experiencing all kinds of tastes, that includes anger. Anger is a taste. It is a pleasure. If anger wasn't a pleasure, my dear friends, we wouldn't do it because everything we do is to enjoy pleasure. Now, a little hint about our practical life as humans in, this, in these human bodies and dealing with our, our struggles with whatever kind of material sense gratification, physical, mental, or emotional, we struggle with. Do we all struggle with something? Everybody struggles with something. Right. One of the things we tend to do with whatever we struggle with is to tell ourselves that we don't really want to do or say or think or whatever that thing, that actually we don't want to do it. This is what Krishna told, what Arjuna told Krishna. I don't want to do these things and somehow I'm being forced. Yes? And usually we tell ourselves this. But my dear friends, that is a lie. If we didn't want to do something, you know what? We wouldn't do it. Whatever we are doing, whether physical, mental, emotional, verbal, is because we want to do it. And why do we want to do it? Prabhupada says, because we think it will give us some kind of taste. And getting rid of a bad habit is much easier when you recognize it. Because the other is false. If you say, no, no, I hate this, I don't like this, I'm somehow being forced against my will, that's not factual. And therefore, because you're not dealing with it factually, you can't get rid of it. You can't get rid of something that you don't see honestly. Does that make sense to everybody? If you want to get rid of something, you have to see it for what it is. So all of our bad habits, all of our attachments, all of our struggles, all of them, 100%, are because we are convinced that that behavior or speech or thought or whatever, internal, external, whatever it is we're struggling with, uh, will give us some kind of pleasure. And that pleasure has to be within the realm of those 12 vessels or some combination of them. When we discover that, when we look honestly and say, oh, the reason, we're so afraid to do that because we think, well, if I admit that the reason I'm doing this thing is because I like it, then I'll never give it up. But that's not a fact. If you see, oh, the reason I'm doing this is because I like it, then the next question can be, is it really giving me what I want? Is this activity truly, really, truly giving me the pleasure that I seek? And the answer will always be no. And then from there you can say, where will I find the real thing that I seek? And in that way, changing our habits is much, much, much easier. So that's a side note. So getting back to Krishna being Akila Rasamrita Murti. So what does this mean? It means several things, but we'll look at just two very, very briefly. It means that he is personally exhibiting all 12 of these rasas in every possible combination. Every possible combination. Those of you who cook, you know you can take a few ingredients and make so many different things by the amounts of the ingredients you combine, the order you do it. There's an akadasi cake I like to make. And if I make it in a different order, it turns out very differently. If I combine the ingredients in a different order, or if I heat the milk or I don't heat the milk, the, the preparation will come out very differently. So all of these possible combinations, Krishna is personally enjoying them. And then, this is really wonderful, each jiva 
also has a particular combination of tastes that that jiva likes to enjoy with Krishna. That's there what we call the saibhav, or what Prabhupada calls continuous ecstasy. So each of us has a particular flavor. It's not that every cowherd boy is exactly like every other cowherd boy. They're each individual. You understand? What does that mean to be an individual? It means that there's a somewhat different flavor of friendship that each cowherd boy has. Some mixture of the rustics. Now that's the staibhav, then there's the anubhav. Anubhav are waves of rasa, waves of emotion that come and go along with the fixed emotion. Hmm? So Mother Yasoda is not always afraid that baby Krishna will get hurt when she's holding him in her lap, she's not feeling fear. But when Trinavarta took him, she was feeling fear. So that fear is an anubhav. Do you all understand that? Everybody understand that? There's your basic emotion and flavor with Krishna, and then there's that's complemented, it's added to by different waves, different waves of emotion, which are always changing and shifting. And again, those are different for each jiva. So that means each jiva has a relationship with Krishna that's full of different waves of emotion and expression. No, the anubhavs, I'm sorry, it's the expression. It's the, um, the vibhavs, I'm sorry. It's the vibhavs, not the anubhavs, which are this changing things. So Krishna's experiencing those flavors from all of the jivas all at the same time. So he's personally feeling those in relationship to the other living beings who he loves and he's experiencing their love for him all simultaneously in all possible infinite variety of flavor with each jiva having their own flavor. It's, it's something like if you could both cook and eat every kind of possible preparation simultaneously or serve and you were serving every possible kind of preparation and eating every kind of possible preparation at the same time. So you were enjoying giving all varieties of food to those you love and you were enjoying each variety of food that those who love you were giving you all at the same time. And each being somewhat different. So this is Krishna Akila Rasamitamurti and what's really, really astonishing, if that isn't astonishing enough, is that when the jiva is connected with Krishna, guess what the jiva can experience? Everything Krishna is experiencing. So, Bhakti Sinatya Saraswati comments on this in his commentary to Shikshastaka, Anandam Bhudivardhanam, where he says the jiva is finite, but when the jiva is in touch with Krishna, the capacity for enjoyment becomes infinite. And so the jiva, when they are in union with Krishna, is also experiencing everything that Krishna is experiencing, including anger. Now, Krishna's anger, of course, is not contaminating. It is not, he's not trying to hurt Mother Yasoda, actually. Because Mother Yasoda will not feel hurt by his breaking the pot. She will feel some kind of sorrow, karunaras, because she intended that yogurt and butter to be used in a food preparation for Krishna. Of course, Krishna is enjoying it. So 
If Krishna wants to enjoy it that way instead of this way, she is also happy. Just like Sachimata when uh, little Nimai broke the whole house. And she said, the house is yours. If you want to get pleasure by breaking it instead of living in it, then that's okay with me, but I don't know how I'm going to cook your lunch. So this is also Mother Yasoda's. Her mood is this yogurt and butter, my dear Lord, is for your pleasure. And therefore, if it gives you pleasure, then I am happy. So he wasn't really hurting Mother Yasoda. He was really giving her pleasure because uh, those of you who have children, you know that the child's naughty activities, especially when they're very, very small, are also a source of pleasure because it's so innocent. Because it's really just a very innocent thing. And the parents very much enjoy, very, very young children, not teenage children, but the parents very much enjoy the very young children's naughty activities. And then you may say, well, then why did Mother Yasoda want to punish him if she was enjoying? Because that's her seva. That's her mood, is I have to train my child to be a gentleman. I cannot, let him, I cannot let my child grow up to be a rogue and a thief. This will be very bad for him. I have to teach him good manners. That's her, that's her mood in, in this parental rasa. But this is all just an exchange of, of giving happiness. When I get angry in this world, I'm angry because someone else hasn't given me happiness, and so I don't want to give them any happiness. You know? And then my, my satisfaction in the material anger rasa is that I've been the agent to hurt somebody else. That's my happiness. I've defeated someone else. I've hurt someone. So that's very demoniac. But when Krishna and the devotees have this anger rasa, they're simply using it to give each other pleasure. Right? Even in Krishna's amorous dealings with the young gopis, when the gopis get angry with Krishna, it's part of the, of, of the happiness. Why? Because it's so happy to give up your anger. And they're angry at him just as a demonstration of their love for him, not as a demonstration of their own needs. So this is very deep. This is a very, a very deep topic to understand rasa. I don't think, at least for myself, that I will ever understand even one tiny fraction of a, of a fraction of a fraction of the, of the smell of this. But it is still a wonderful thing to talk about, even if we can't fully understand it. And this is the world that we wish to enter. We wish to enter a world. We, as personalists, that uh, is, the Lord is Akila Rasamrita Murti, and the devotees are interacting with him in all kinds of wonderful ways. And the way that we, that we as bhakti yogis, are dealing with our desire to enjoy material rasa is not to try to kill it like the impersonalists but to try instead to relish the spiritual rasa. So if we are feeling angry at someone, we can meditate on Krishna being angry at Mother Yasoda. If you can't do that, at least be angry at the cow slaughterers and the abortionists and go out and, and sell books. <laughs> but best to meditate on, you know, Bhijma being angry at Krishna on the battlefield. At Krishna and Bhijma having ang- chivalrous anger with each other. Krishna being angry at Yusoda and Radharani being angry that Krishna hasn't come. And when we meditate on that anger, that anger is so sweet that our material anger will naturally dissipate. So we've gone a little late uh, and we have to travel today, but if there's just one or two quick questions, we can take them. If anybody has any questions. Yes, please. Thank you very much. Uh, it's hard that I heard, uh 
Akivara Samurta Murti, every avatar of war, like for Ramachandra, he also is able to experience all this, but he just doesn't manifest. Yes. It's only Krishna who, to show his supremacy, manifests all of them. Other avatars, just some of them prominently in their others. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So that, that's a nice way to put it, because really they're all the same persons, they're not different persons. But as soon as Ram were to manifest that, he wouldn't be Ram, he would be Krishna. I mean, something, something, something like, so in this world, if you have a job, you don't show all of your personality and behavior at the job. You know, if the, the prime minister, the president, is with his wife at a state dinner. So he's not going to behave with her the same way he'll behave in the house. Same person. But, you know, in some settings we manifest some things, in other settings we manifest other things. So as soon as the Lord manifests everything, then we call him Krishna. When he manifests certain things, then we have another, then he takes another form, which is also interesting. Ananta Rupam can mean that his form is unlimited, like Madhya can't tie him up because he has an unlimited form. It also means that he takes unlimited forms. I mean, when I exhibit and feel different emotions, I do look a little different. Yes? You know, my form changes a little bit. Correct? Right? But I don't get a completely different form. I don't turn into a fish and a lion and, you know, I don't, I, my color may change a little bit. I may get a little bit more red or a little bit more white, you know, but I don't change into green. And, but, but Krishna, when he has different moods, he, he really changes. He has a different mood and he, he, all of a sudden he looks like a turtle. Even Mahaprabhu, he had turtle pastimes. In his ecstasy, his limbs withdrew and he looked like a, a turtle. So yes, in all of the lords, every form of the Lord is equal. We, we don't believe in many gods, we believe in one god. But he has unlimited forms according to his particular moods. But the form of Krishna, particularly, encompasses everything. Krishna is manifesting all moods. Whereas in the other forms, there are certain moods they never manifest. So they're there, but they never manifest. And as soon as they would manifest, then they would have a different form. Is that okay? And the devotee is attracted to a particular form according to their mood. So every, and, and even with Krishna, Krishna appears a little differently to each devotee, Lord Kapiladev says, according to them. Any other points anybody wants to bring up? Thank you very much. You will probably